1: Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Socola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Mitzi Perdue. Now, Mitzi is a particularly interesting person because she has more perspectives all mixed in there than anybody I've ever spoken with, and I love the combination. Number one, Mitzi is the daughter of Ernest Henderson, the co-founder and president of the Sheraton Hotel chain. She's also the wife of the late great Frank Purdue of Purdue Farms. If you eat chicken, you have most likely had Purdue chicken at some point, and probably sitting in your fridge like right like I do right now. She was also the syndicated environmental columnist in 420 publications across the United States, and she's the author of 22 books. The most current of which is How to Be Up in Down Times with Mark Victor Hansen. And, as if that wasn't enough, she's also the founder of Win This Fight, an anti-human trafficking organization. Mitzi, thank you so much for all you do and for joining us here today. What a complete joy to be here. And I loved your topic. Thank you. Well, now, before we get into the meat and all the stories that you have to share, because unlike most of my guests, where I just want to know what their trajectory was, I'm going to be asking you questions that are, I'm going to give you the freedom To reach into any of those bags that we just mentioned. If you want to talk from your perspective of running this anti human trafficking organization, then you can do that. If you want to give lessons or examples that you remember learning from Frank or from Ernest or from whoever else, then that's completely up to you. So you have full liberty to pick any muse, anything that strikes you as a relevant source of wisdom today. Sound good? Oh, love it. Thank you. Okay, so my first question before we get into the official rundown, I have to know, because you were raised in this world and you've you've lived in a world full of everybody from celebrities to business moguls, I'm sure politicians and leaders of all sorts of places. So this is kind of normal for you in a way that it's not old hat yeah. to most of us, to those of us mere mortals down here. So my question for you is, despite the fact that you were always surrounded by them, were you ever really just intimidated to meet anybody? Yeah, actually, in my whole life,
2: I think it happened once. Okay. And the reason I was intimidated was because I admired the person so much. And I have a friend who said, you know, I think you and Mark Victor Hansen would really get along. Why don't I arrange a phone call for both of you? And I'm thinking, but he's the guy who's, I mean, he has written more than 300 books. He's sold half a Billion books. He's just, and then in the National Speakers Association, uh, he's he's as high as they get. And so I'm thinking, I'm going to be in a phone call with this man. And since he is the absolute summit of everything that professionally I admire, what will I have to say to him? So it's actually genuinely intimidated, doesn't do it justice. (laughs) But then... He called, we talked, and he was the easiest person to talk with in the world. And we got to talking, and we talked and talked and talked, and he endorsed the organization that I founded, Win This Fight, the anti-human trafficking effort, and he said it helped. Mm. Oh, oh, my gosh. And then when COVID-19 struck, we were talking one day, and I was saying, you know, I have 40 years as a science writer and as a health writer. I know a lot. Where we could give people advice. And you're one of the most inspirational people in the world. What if we wrote a book together?
1: And three weeks later, and 18 hour days later, yes. came this how to be up and down times. Okay, everybody, you've got your homework for, before you even start, you've got a homework assignment. And by the way, I have it. I'm about halfway through it. I've got it, the Kindle edition, and it's fabulous. It's Oh, thank you. you Thank you. I love that it's a bunch of short little chapters, easy motivational pieces to think about, really great uplifting suggestions for people. All right. This is going to lead us into our official questions now. With all that you do, who do you need to influence now? that's going to come in two buckets. Professionally, I'm
2: particularly interested in helping absolutely everybody who wants to be an entrepreneur and particularly women, but men as well to rise in their career. Mm -hmm. Any shortcuts that I can share with them, I'm eager to do. That's one bucket. The other bucket is anybody who's interested in combating one of the worst scourges on this planet, which is human trafficking. Boy, if that touches your heart and you want to be connected with, People who are doing something about it, contact me. But for the moment, let's stick with what my training is, because I've also written books on how to make your family business last, how Mm to teach values to your kids so that
1: they'll enjoy it, how to stay connected with your family. So I'd love to talk about those things. It's completely up to you. There's so much that we can talk about here. So with regard to any of those issues, in particular, perhaps with the win this fight, What's the biggest communication challenge that you or the organization is facing today?
2: The challenge that we're facing is we had a wonderful fundraising thing because when this fight is about fundraising Mm. and the way we do it is we have the ability to help people convert very valuable items into cash by means of an auction in Mm. which the Sotheby's has offered, because they care about human trafficking, they've offered a very, very attractive. Price structure so that if you say you have a million dollar necklace that
1: belo- and I've got I would three, you- I'm sure, yes, yeah, lying around somewhere. Well,
2: the one that I have in mind it belonged to Marlene Dietrich, and it's mm. appraised at a million dollars. Mm. If it were auctioned through them, the amount of commission that they'd take would be reduced because it's a charity. And some of the donations that have come in, they're eye popping. There's a man from Taiwan who has donated a 69 carat perfect ruby that mm. belongs. To a Chinese emperor from 300 years ago. Oh my goodness. Probably worth between 40 and 60 million dollars. Here's the challenge all the donations that have come in have fabulous stories behind them, the sort of thing that people want to know more. But during COVID 19, the timing's not good. Mm. Who wants to think of extreme luxury items? I mean, maybe as an escape, but it's not really relevant when we're at the height of COVID 19. So, my communications challenge is, or my response to it is, to put the project on hold. Mm. But the idea is people donate amazing things, which we'll have at a great giant auction at Sotheby's. But the communication challenge, I don't expect to get traction when people are you know, worried that their relatives might pass away or they're worried about their finances, or is their business going to survive? So the timing isn't good. Mm. That's my big challenge. And the answer to it, I think is, I hope this is the answer,
1: timing. Sure. And it sounds like a big challenge or, or perhaps an angle for it is helping people remember that COVID-19 is not a deterrent to human trafficking.
2: No, actually, according to what I've heard, human trafficking is actually increasing during these times. I right. mean, but what I can offer is fundraising. And if people aren't thinking about fundraising and aren't feeling flush, I don't want a 40 or $60 million amazing ruby that a man from
1: Taiwan donated. I don't want it to go for a million dollars. We need it to go for even more than it's appraised at. Sure, to make the greatest impact. So we've got to get people to focus on the impact that the bidding, that the auction will have and not focus on the item itself. Got it. Then in order to... It, this could be from you or from Frank or from Ernest or any direction you want to go. What's a specific communication skill that you or they had to learn in order to get to the top? I've
2: got a dandy from my father. Oh, love it. All right. My father, when he was 26 years old, he got engaged to my mother. My mother came from Wheeling, Virginia to Cambridge, Massachusetts to meet her future in laws. And my grandmother, that is my father's father, Grandmother Berta, told mother, don't marry Ernest, he can never stick to anything, you're going to end up poor. Oh my gosh. Well, mother said, I don't care, I love him, and they got married anyway. But what a wake-up call from my father, that his own mother is telling his fiancee, don't marry him. So he took this very seriously. He went to a career guidance counselor to find out why he hadn't been able to stick with anything. Mm. The career guidance counselor told him, and I hope this is advice or this story might be useful to some people. The career guidance counselor tested him for an entire day and all you know, just a battery of tests. And at the end, he said, you've got the worst human relations skills I've ever come across in my entire career. Oh. The only career that I would really recommend for you is, you know, you're clearly a bright fellow, but you should spend your life as a scientist in a laboratory where you don't have to interact with people. Well, Father took this as a challenge, and he reasoned correctly, I believe, that almost your entire success in life is going to depend on your ability to get along with people and communicate yes. with them and figure out what makes them tick. And so for the rest of his life, he made it a project to overcome that sort of prediction that the career guidance counselor had given him, and he began studying like psychology books He read How to Win Friends and Influence People. He told me he would read that book by Dale Carnegie every 10 years. He took the Dale Carnegie course. Mm. He took public speaking courses. He did everything that he could do to learn to communicate with people. And he became so good at it that he became, you know, in the hotel business. I once estimated that he probably interacted with more people than almost anybody else in the United States except for a national politician. So he went from absolutely the worst to one of the best.
1: But he did it by consciously overcoming his greatest weakness. That's amazing. And sure, that was not exactly a flip a switch. You know, take a course, okay, problem solved. That sounds like a lifelong journey to constantly be improving. I mean, it certainly is for me. So I would think coming from that stage where he began, it would would be-
2: I personally know that it was lifelong. I mean I for one thing he told me every 10 years I read how to win friends and influence people but another thing I noticed that would have weekend guests at our summer place and over and over again it would be famous psychologists hmm. like if you're in the field of psychology you'd be impressed that B.F. Skinner was a house a weekend oh guest. Sure. Okay. Or uh, there's a guy named Eddie Bernays who I think His background is psychology and he's known as, I mean, some people call him the father of modern advertising. Ugh. But again, that's somebody who understands a lot about what motivates people. Right. And, you know, it really paid off because if I can tell a quick story about how in the 1930s, which is when Sheraton began, that was a time a little bit like today. And I have a story that might be encouraging to people today who are encountering problems, making progress towards where they want to be. Well, let's hear it. Thank you. This is what he told me about what he'd do every time he took over a hotel. And by the end of his days, he owned, or the family owned, 400 hotels, employed 20,000 people. Mm. He told me, in the Great Depression, the hotels that he'd get, there would always be ones that would be teetering on bankruptcy, sure. you know, that nobody could make any money out of. And you know, in, people were running away from real estate, and particularly hotels, as fast as they could. And Father was a contrarian, but he had discovered a human relations skill that enabled him to make a success when nobody else was. was Well, here's what I'd do. The day he took possession, he'd invite, say there are 400 employees at the hotel. He'd invite every one of them into the ballroom and sort of, you know, get to meet each other, except that he's on the stage and he's addressing them. And, you know, he's looking out in the audience and he knows it every single one of them is demoralized. They're afraid they're going to lose their jobs with 25% unemployment, the chance of getting another job or how about zero? So he knows he's talking to a completely demoralized group of people. And he also knows, because he studied psychology and thought about all of this, that they're not going to listen to a word he says until he can take away the overwhelming pain point, which is fear that they're going to lose their jobs. Mm. So he told me, the first words out of his mouth would be, I want every one of you to keep your job. Mm. And then he said, here's why. He said, because I know that you know your job better than anybody else in the world. And I want to give you the resources and the encouragement to show the world just how great you are. And you'll see in a few months, this is going to be the most popular, the best served, the most financially stable hotel in the whole city and we're going to be a shining example to everybody else in the city that things can turn around and get better and it was a self-fulfilling prophecy a father told me and this is one of the psychological principles that i'm just eager to share he said people have a compulsion to live up to or down to your expectations yes and he was communicating
1: that he expected and believed in them and it paid off Clearly, clearly, that's mm-hmm. that's a, it's such a beautiful story too. And that's a really key point that people will live up to or down to your expectations. And whether it's your children, your employees, your friends, that's so critical to really think about how you are communicating to them what you think of them, because they'll match that, that self-fulfilling prophecy. How interesting.
2: Yeah, and I'm not sure that he would have figured that out without studying it. But for somebody who was spending so much time taking courses and reading books and magazines Mm -hmm. and interviewing people, he had a deeper understanding than any of his competition. And he told me that there was a part two to that story, which is the next day, the employees would see groups of like plumbers and electricians and decorators who would be coming into the hotel. But the super wonderful part, from my point of view, of this story anyway, is that all those people who are refurbishing the hotel, they would go straight for the places that the public would never see. They would be refurbishing the employee dining rooms, the mm. lockers, the showers, the elevators. The first money that he ever spent was on the employees. And I asked him, why did you do that? Now, why wouldn't you put money into the places where you'd get your money back? And he said, because, The success of any enterprise at every level depends on the employees.
1: And this was a way of signaling to them how important they were to him. Sure. Yes. Take care of your employees and they will take care of you. I think that's very wise. What is the next big goal for you? It's a tip that comes from Mark Victor Hudson. Oh, wonderful. This book that I'm holding up here. Which is how to be up and down times. Well,
2: a couple of weeks ago, just totally out of the blue, he commented, you know, Missy, you know how to use Photoshop. And I said, yes, it's like a hobby of mine. I'm like a black belt in Photoshop. He said, could you write across the top of it more than a million copies sold? And I said, but Mark, I don't want to be dishonest. And he said, it's okay. Nobody but you and I will ever see it. But what I want you to do is create this thing with more than a million copies sold and then print it out and I'll print it out. And we will visualize the success, put the picture of how to be up and down times, put the image with the photoshops more than a million copies sold, put that image in the kitchen, in your office, in your bedroom, in the bathroom, every room in the house, and then just visualize a million copies sold and This was such a revelation to me that you could even think that way, and you know I used to think, five thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand
1: copies is just wonderful. But he's raised my sights. No, I hadn't thought about that. Just creating the book title. Not that you were going to print it for sale, falsely. No, saying, no I, I'm not into false advertising. Right, right. But no, I'm but very
2: much into
1: visualizing. And I'm going to but, do that with mine now. I'm going to go, when we're done today, I'm going to have to go and get my Speaking to Influence book and Photoshop a little, more than a million copies sold. And I love it. Yeah, that. and then just put it out everywhere. Uh, and just All around my house, I, right. Yeah, I swear to you that it's changed my thinking. That's great, and I think it's wonderful, so I will second that motion for sure. Well, Mitzi, this brings us to the Listener 24-Hour Influence Challenge, and this is your opportunity to speak directly to our listeners and give them one short instruction, one step that they can complete within the next 24 hours in order to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today?
2: Okay, I have a beautiful one, and it's quick, and you can download it from Amazon, and it's inexpensive. But it's the book that guided my late father and it guided my late husband. And that's the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Now, this book is a classic and it's timeless, but it gets so much into what influences people and how it makes them tick. Both my father and my husband said that it was just beyond price. So one thing that you can do in 24 hours, well, it's one and a half. One, download the book. Part two, read
1: a couple of chapters. Sure, sure. Crack it. Don't just order it, but you can, assuming you get the digital copy. Otherwise, you have to wait until it gets delivered. No, no, get the digital
2: because I want you to have it right off. It'll change your life. It will make your life better.
1: All right. You heard it here first go download Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I confess that has been on my list forever and a day. I have not ever had a chance to crack it myself, so I'm going to follow yeah, the Yeah, I challenge myself. you. I accept. I accept. All right, now let's talk about guiding others on the journey. Because we've talked about your journey. Now let's talk about how we bring others up behind us. Things like succession planning and training or, or grooming high potentials. Tell me and perhaps these are some lessons that you learned more from, uh, about, from Sheraton's or from Purdue's or from uh, other companies. But when hiring or grooming a high potential employee for an executive position, what are the three most important communication skills to you? I'm thinking of
2: something that my father used to say, and Great. it's in three parts. Great. And it goes right back to the story of when he'd first take over a hotel. Okay. And he said in his world anyway, that there are three major ways of getting people to do what you want. And management is the art of getting things done through other people. So we're talking management skills. Mm. And, you know, again, if you're going to rise in your career, you've got, it's the people who are working for you who are going to make you look good. Yes. So it's just all important to figure out what it takes to get them to do what you want. And Father said, in that story that I just mentioned about how he stood up in front of 400 demoralized people, he said, I could have gotten them to do what I want by standing up there and saying, shape up or you're fired. Mm. He said, that is a bad approach, or at least an ineffective approach, because he said, I could have gotten compliance. People would have maybe shaped up more, but that approach is intimidation. And he said that when you intimidate people, they may do what you want, but they're going to do it grudgingly and maybe they'll try to sabotage it a little bit.
1: I mean, it's just not a good way of getting what you want. So then skill number one would be looking for somebody who has the ability to influence people through positive means to get them on board as opposed to forcing them.
2: Yeah. Okay. Okay. So in his world approach number two to get in your way. He could have stood up in front of them and he could have told them, do a great job and there's a promotion in line for you,
1: there's bonuses. The carrot Uh, versus the stick.
2: Yeah, but he said that's better than intimidation, but it's also not a good approach to getting people long-term to do what you want. He said the problem with bribery is you have to keep upping the ante Yes. And it's too transactional. People are going to work for the award rather than something bigger. Okay. His view, and certainly my late husband's view, was what really works is the way my father expressed it was, inspire, don't require. That's my mm, like way of getting them. And so when he was telling the people that he had just met, he could have told them, you know, do a better job making the beds or... Attending bar or any of the jobs that you do in a hotel. But instead, he was inspiring them with the idea that they were part of a team. They were part of something bigger than themselves. So the, the maid isn't just making beds. She's part of the team that's making this the most successful hotel in the whole city, the one that's going to inspire everybody that even though times are bad, things can turn around. And so his view of inspire, don't require, is. I think maybe some of the best advice that we could possibly give people, a leader's job is to give people a better vision of themselves. Yes. And so inspire, don't
1: require is part of that. I like that. That's what I call a tweetable and repeatable soundbite. Something that's a great little phrase that rings well, it's easy to remember, and it's easy for people to recite and repeat to, to others as well to share it along. That whole idea of inspire, don't require. Great leadership lesson. So then perhaps they can... Also, share some. Maybe uh, your your father or your late husband could had some suggestions with regard to managing up as well. They clearly had gazillions of people working for them at various points. So, what's something that was a pet peeve of theirs that they wished people who worked for them, their their direct reports, those who had to report up to them directly, what did they wish their reports would do differently? When I was getting my master's degree in public
2: administration at George Washington University, Mm -hmm. I remember a management class. And trust me, this is going to circle back to your question. Okay. But at this management class, we were given a case study. And the case study was in a textbook that there was a man who was working for a hotel chain and he was managing the hotel. And the dilemma that we, the students, were supposed to figure out as a case study what this guy should have done about it his problem was that the old man, which was the head of the company, was asking him for so many reports and bothering him so much that he couldn't get the job done. And so we, the students, you know, as a project, were are supposed, for a couple of days, figure out you know, if we were that manager, what should we do about it? Well, I called up my father. And I said, this is the case study. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you make of it? And he said that for probably 20 different reasons, he could tell that they were talking about him. I mean, it was the nickname, really? it was the reporting requirements. No, it was just a complete certainty that, that I was I was part of a study group that was to tell what to do about this case. And he said he even remembered the case. He said, here's the problem. I don't want to be riding herd in somebody. I'd rather be doing something really creative. But on the other hand, if a manager is failing, I've got to guide him. And that means asking him questions and being in his face. And, you know, I absolutely don't want to do it. But on the other hand, I don't want to fire him because, you know, we put a lot of effort into grooming people and getting them to that position. And so my father's view of it was that he, the old man, wasn't bothering this person for the sake of bothering him. He was trying to get him to do a better job. Well, the students reconvened in the class. And I listened with fascination. I didn't confess to them that I knew this other side of it, but I listened with amazement that every student there was saying, well, you should ignore the old man, you shouldn't take his calls, you just shouldn't let him get to you. And that meant that in that class, those kids were learning to do the exact thing that probably would get them fired. And so uh, this is a very long way of answering your question, but what do you wish from your direct reports I think in every case that I'm familiar with, but I'm certainly willing to acknowledge that there would be other cases. But I think, yeah, you know, your boss, unless there's something really funky going on, wants you to succeed. And if your boss is giving you guidance, turn yourself inside out and into a pretzel to try to get it right, as opposed to the advice that was given of ignore him.
1: Sure. So it sounds like when you're getting guidance from the boss, that may seem corrective to step back a little bit and perhaps listen to the boss's intention Yeah, and where it's coming from and recognize that it's most likely in your best interest.
2: Again, I don't want to make blanket statements, but my experience of life is that. And further, I've worked since age 15, and I always felt that my job as an employee was to figure out what my boss wanted. And to, actually, the way I phrase it is, figure out what you win points for and what you lose points for and do the things you win points for. Sure. Uh, And I also felt that, okay, another little piece of personal advice from my own life, but I picked it up just from the people I've been around, which is that one of the greatest wastes of time in life is doing 90% of the job. On the other hand, if you can do 110%, you'll stand out. So don't just get by with your work product. Figure out something extra that you can add to it, something that will
1: please and delight the boss. Sure. Going above and beyond. Yeah, because why be average? Why (laughs) waste your time being average? Exactly. Nobody ever got ahead by being average, that's for sure. Well, this now takes us to the final part of our interview, and this is the speed round. So I'm going to give you a couple of choices. And for each one, I'm going to ask you just to give a single word or phrase about where you stand. And these are issues that regularly arise in my coaching and training where people often feel like they struggle because they think it's black or white and it's really not. And they also struggle because they feel like they're the only ones who struggle with these issues. And we want to let them know that nah, this is something that's pretty common for just about everybody. So I'm going to ask you to do just a short one word or a short phrase initial response, and then I'll prompt you for a little bit of extra advice. And then we're going to run through these real quick at the end. So the first one is public speaking. Love it or hate it. Used to hate it, now love it. Oh, great. Okay, so then give us one tip for managing nerves and speaking with confidence and perhaps learning to love it as you have. The more you prepare,
2: the better off you'll be. I took a year-long speaking course with the National Speakers Association. Mm -hmm. One of the things that they told us is, know your material as well as you know the Lord's
1: prayer. Mm -hmm. So don't try to wing it. Practice it 40 or 50 times if you need to. Sure, sure. And if you can do that, terrific, especially. And if nothing else, I love what I call the 60 to 60 rule, which is if you don't have time to practice that much, at least get that first minute. Rehearse that until you've got that to the hilt so you can at least start smooth. And then most people get into their groove at that point and figure out the rest. But yes, prepare, prepare, prepare. Okay, what about this one? Introvert or extrovert? Where do you fall? Smack dab in the middle. Oh, interesting. Okay, so with that balance, what's one of your strengths? And what's an area for growth? Strengths.
2: I think my own analysis of myself is that I'm eager to learn and I want in every case that I can to learn new skills, to increase my talent stack. And areas for growth? Well, one area of improvement is I fight against this, but I just don't seem to succeed very well. I'd love to be able to give shorter answers. I know (laughs) that I monologue too much.
1: It's hard when you've got a whole life with all these great stories and all these great venues and people in it. I actually think we did really great. So I want to thank you for sharing all the details and sharing all of your experiences and sharing the perspectives and lessons from your father as well as your husband and all the amazing things that you have done yourself in this wonderful life.
2: Can I add one other thing? This is the reason why I avoid negative thinking. Sure. I'm not good at thinking about the things that are not good. And I have a reason for that. I was very influenced by a quote from the great novelist, Alexander Mm Dumas. And he said, he who listens to his own doubts is enlisting armies of enemies who are fighting
1: him. So don't do it. (laughs) That's a great way to end this. All right, everybody, no self-doubt. That's terrific. Thank you so much for sharing all this. And finally, conflict management. When you're faced with a potential conflict or a difficult conversation, is your natural instinct to want to avoid it or to want to engage it head on? Natural instinct to avoid it. Then what's one piece of advice that you can give others whose reflex is like yours? Because obviously we can't avoid everything all the time.
2: Absolutely don't avoid it. Things usually get worse if, if you try to sweep them under the rug. Okay.
1: Now, Mitzi, thank you so much for taking us on this journey with you and coming along our journey with us. How can people learn more about you and Win This Fight? I'd
2: love it if they'd come to my website, winthisfight.org. And if they'd like to contact me,
1: there's a contact form. Mitzi, thank you so much for joining us today. I want to thank our listeners, as always, for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and and influence. And finally, if you want to download my quick start guide to mastering the three C's, command the room, connect with the audience and close the deal, go to speaking to I'm Dr. Laura Socola and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite.